You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Punter Pat O'Donnell re-signs with the Chicago Bears as we review what's happened in free agency thus far and what could come next. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. What's up, Bears fans, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a podcast hosted by yours truly on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network, dedicated generally to reviewing the Bears' happenings throughout the week. Now, of course, that changes during the offseason when things aren't happening, but thankfully, in the heat of free agency, we've got plenty to talk about. As always, I'll mention the rest of the brand. Lester Wiltfong's T-Formation Conversation is a phenomenal listen, and Bears Over Beers has had a phenomenal Rocket start to their podcasting tenure. Be sure to give them a follow on Bears Over Beers, like at Bears Over Beers, and check out Windy City Gridiron to see new episodes. As always, you can find me on Twitter at, at Robert K. Schmitz, but I've already talked enough about the logistical stuff. Let's dive into free agency because honestly, there's a lot to unpack. So last I left you, it was Tuesday morning, the day after the first day of the new NFL negotiating period, the legal tampering period, as it's called, and there wasn't a whole lot of Bears news to be had. I was able to report to y'all that it certainly seemed as if Adrian Amos was on the out. Uh, Bryce Callahan probably also on the out. Both of those have been confirmed, by the way. They've got new deals now. But the Bears had gotten Mike Davis, a new running back from the Seahawks, and Buster Scrine, a new nickelback, also cornerback from the New York Jets. Since then, they've also added talented safety haha Clinton Dix and enigmatic hybrid wide receiver running back Cordero Patterson. And now that they've re-signed punter Pat O'Donnell to a two-year deal, it looks like the Bears total about $15.3 million in cap space going forward. Now that's enough to make a big move or a couple of smaller moves, but we'll just have to see how it all plays out. What I want to do for you right now, now that I've kind of recapped everything that has happened, is go in a little bit on the four names we know of, Mike Davis, Buster Scrine, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, and Cordero Patterson, and give my thoughts on who these players are and what I'm seeing on their tape, how I think they'll fit into Nagy or the defense's system, and everything in between. A true deep dive into these guys' tape because I finally got the chance to watch it, and now I can verbally tell you all about it because a lot of stuff in my breakdown threads actually ends up getting left out due to just the the complication of making video and everything surrounding that. I'm really excited to get the chance to just talk it out. I'm going to go in the order they were signed in, though, so that's going to be Davis, then Scrine, then Patterson, then Clinton Dix, and then I'll talk a little bit more about broader free agency, not other teams, but for Bears, guys leaving, guys coming in, and what I hope to see happen before free agency wraps up. So with the plan laid out, let's dive into our first free agent to discuss, Mike Davis. So Davis is an interesting case to study, I think, because he was the second back out of three in a running back cut by committee setting in Seattle. So he ended up getting the second most carries pretty clearly too. Chris Carson had 247, quite a lot. 
Davis had 112 carries, and then Rashad Penny had 85, and Davis actually performed the worst out of these three. Now, all of them had over 4.5 yards per attempt, so all of them ran pretty well, but Davis still clocked into the worst at 4.59 yards per attempt, with Carson at about 4.7, and Rashad Penny at 4.9. I had the chance to sit down and watch four games of Davis's 2018 tape, so while my assessment of Davis might not be as deep as a lot of other guys due to not having watched any of his 2015 to 2017 tape and certainly not watching him in college, I can tell you what I think he is now, the product that he is bringing to the Bears, and where I think it fits. To start out with, Mike Davis is basically what I would consider Matt Nagy's lowest bar back. So he's the guy that has all the tools it takes to meet the lowest qualifications of what Matt Nagy needs to see in a successful running back. He catches the ball fluidly, like really he does, caught 34 receptions in Seattle, and when he does catch it, a lot of times, yes, it's dump-offs, even though he can line up at wide receiver, though he rarely gets thrown to on those routes, but when he catches the dump-offs, which he catches with a nice consistency, he'll catch it and immediately turn and run upfield without losing almost any speed at that catch point, which is very key to Matt Nagy's offense because it allows on any dump-off situation Trubisky to pick up approximately approximately six to nine yards and should Davis break a tackle which is kind of rare but you know maybe we'll get there uh, he can turn it into a bigger gain the trouble is that Mike Davis doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of plus tools when I'm looking at a player I want to see what they do well what they do poorly and then weigh those two trying to eliminate all the stuff they do average the trouble is Mike Davis does a whole lot of things average. Not a whole lot of things he seems to do particularly well. He's definitely faster than Howard. He definitely has better burst than Howard, just to compare the two, because to my understanding, Davis is either being brought in to start for Howard, or he's being brought in to sort of be a short back role or a Benny Cunningham role. But for now, I'm going to be talking about him as if he's going to be the feature back. He struggles in pass coverage, uh, I saw him take on four blitzers, and he gave up sacks on two of them, a pressure on one of them, and another one he just barely moved away from Russell Wilson's foot. So not very good there, and his running leaves a little bit to be desired. I wish he was better at picking his holes. He doesn't seem to do a very good job of it. He tends to, as he's running, want to bounce things outside, and if he is coming in to be a more power-based back, I don't like that at all. I want my power back to charge upfield and get as many yards as he can, only cutting outside when it's going to work, and Davis seems to struggle there. Now, when he does actually turn his shoulders upfield and charge through somebody, he actually has a really pretty good success rate. He tends to fall forward, he doesn't usually get stood up and driven backwards, and he can churn out a couple extra yards going in that direction. The question is whether he's going to do it. He seems to be a guy with a varied enough toolkit that he wants to know what he can do on any given play, which is the right option, rather than just pressing one option as hard as he can and making the best of it. Let me explain what I mean real quick for those who might not have followed what I'm trying to say. Think about what both Cohen and Howard do. Howard is a generally powerful dude, and that means that plenty of times he'll run straight through two or three, sometimes four people, and just make the best of the situation. And if he's tackled by the first guy, that's it. He's tackled. But occasionally he'll just run all four of them down and make a big play, or even just run down two and take the extra yards he gets there. Cohen, on the other hand, 
isn't a very powerful guy at all, so he doesn't try to do any of that. Instead, he uses his acceleration and he uses his shiftiness to make sure that he can get by people. This helps him to make better decisions because he knows that if he doesn't have a clear lane going up the middle, he probably shouldn't try because that's not his game. Davis kinda has both. And because he kinda has both, he has to pick the right one, and since he has to make the choice, it leads to errors. At least that's what I'm seeing. He's not a perfect decision maker. I wish he was. I don't know if he'll ever grow into that role. Another thing I should point out about Davis is that when I see him get into space, he doesn't get any better. This is complete opposite of Cordero Patterson and plenty of the other guys that I know Nagy loves. But when Davis gets to space, I know there's one play in San Francisco that makes this painfully obvious. He'll often follow his screen blockers to a fault and instead won't pick up the maximum yardage that he possibly could. In the play that I'm talking about, it's in the Seattle-San Francisco game. Uh, Davis catches a pass off to Russell Wilson's left with two guys in front of him and gosh, what feels like 15 yards of space going forward with only two tacklers angling in his direction. Because of this, you would think that Davis can allow his blockers to line them up, get around those blockers, and go make a play. But instead, Davis actually runs too close to the linebacker that's being blocked by a lineman and allows himself to get arm tackled. It's not a good play. I mean, it's a pretty good play, like 13 yards, but it could have been probably 20, 25, and that's the kind of stuff that Nagy wants to capitalize on. Ultimately, my thoughts of Mike Davis are simple. I think he's better for this offense than Benny Cunningham is, but I don't think he is a starting back. If he develops into one, that'll surprise me, and he'll kind of turn into a steal on this two-year, $3 million contract he's on. But what I expect him to be, not a special teams contributor, but a nice backup running back that's able to fill the starting role whenever we need it, even if he doesn't fill it perfectly. Mike Davis gives me the impression that we're going to be targeting a running back in the draft because I do get the impression that they want to trade Jordan Howard. I don't know, I'm just, with all this hubbub at running back and all the looking and all the meeting with different running backs that the Bears reportedly did, according to Twitter, throughout free agency, if I'm reading the tea leaves, I think that Howard's probably gone. So with that in mind, I get the impression they're going to want to draft their next star and avoid paying money to running backs, which isn't a bad plan in and of itself. Next, we'll move on to Buster Scrine. Now, I don't want to go too deep on Scrine for anybody who did read my Twitter breakdown or my breakdown that I left on Windy City Gridiron, but the gist is that Buster Scrine is like Prince of Mukamura, but turned into a smaller nickel corner. He's got nice acceleration and seems to drive on the ball well, and he's not a bad tackler in his own right. He's not phenomenal. He's not Adrian Amos, and I cite Amos because I actually think he's a very good tackler, but he's a pretty tough tackler. He's a physical guy, and he likes to get involved with attacking the run game, which I think fits really, really well with this aggressive, all-out attack style Pagano defense that a lot of us are expecting to see. Scrine was used pretty often to blitz, as a matter of fact, in New York, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Scrine getting sent on those corner blitzes that I know Fangio had a habit of actually calling pretty often. With experience at both outside and inside corner, Scrine actually does seem pretty versatile, and should something befall Kyle Fuller or Prince of Mukamura, he very well may be the best option at starting outside rather than putting Kevin Tolliver out there to potentially face the wrath of whatever offense is targeting him because you would think Kevin Tolliver, good as he may get, would be the hole that anybody would want to exploit. Buster Scrine, on the other hand, has four years of experience that came from his work in Cleveland in which he was actually a pretty 
darn good outside corner. So Scrine brings versatility with him as well. Now Scrine's big weakness that I have personally seen is that he can get beat on change of direction routes pretty easily. He doesn't tend to stop and then restart very well. His hips flow nicely when he's got to go from left to right or something like that. If he doesn't really have to change direction much at all, like he starts backpedaling and then he moves to either the right or the left, he can get pretty good break on it and he tends to be able to accelerate forward well out of his backpedal. But it's anything that makes him stop and restart or something that gets him running and then cuts him back another direction, those things can really hurt him. Golden Tate is a good example of somebody who he's able to kind of make mincemeat of Scrine when he's given time to run proper routes. Tate, like many of the quality slot receivers of the NFL today, possesses sharp capabilities when changing direction and cutting, so Scrine's going to be in trouble if he's left alone for too long. Now, thankfully, the Bears have a pretty ferocious front seven with Roquan Smith, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, and plenty of other guys, so you would tend to hope that they'll be able to get the pressure that they need to force quarterbacks and slot receivers into acting a little bit quicker than they want to, which takes away from their ability to attack Scrine outright. I might as well go ahead and make it abundantly clear. Buster Scrine is not better than Bryce Callahan, and he won't be better than Bryce Callahan, but it was always going to be extraordinarily hard to move on from Bryce Callahan and get any better at the position without signing Callahan itself. And you got the impression from the way that the Bears operated that this could be another Cam Meredith situation involving medical issues, and the Bears have chosen to play it without Callahan and instead move on with Buster Scrine. We'll have to see how that works out. I can't really grade it until we see how Callahan holds up, whether he plays enough time for the Broncos. But at the end of the day, I personally believe that the Bears are making signings with the playoffs in mind. And if they sign somebody who is an injury risk and then they get hurt and can't play in the playoffs, it's a waste of money. I think they've got their eyes on the playoffs, not just on the regular season. Scrine's got pretty solid durability, a couple concussions in his history, but nothing super major. So I tend to think that they're playing the durability long game, that they want a starting nickel cornerback, and they got it in Buster Scrine. Solid fit, fairly versatile. He'll take a lot of penalties. I did forget to mention this. He's a holder, a lot like Prince of Mukamura. So if you catch him on a long, deep route, which, by the way, generally speaking, Scrine's fast enough to cover deep routes pretty effectively and force the quarterback to just look somewhere else, not even bother throwing it in his direction, he will get caught holding. He's loose with his hands, if not a little bit flagrant. But if you want more examples of that, just go find some of the penalties that Scrine committed. If you dig up one of my breakdown articles on Windy City Gridiron, you're bound to find it. From there, we move on to talk about our third free agent signing, Cordero Patterson, who of course spent four years with the Vikings, one with the Raiders, and now hails from the New England Patriots to play for his now fourth team, the Chicago Bears. Now, despite that long journeyman history, I actually think Cordero Patterson, who for those who don't know, has started to occupy sort of a hybrid halfback and wide receiver role, is perfect for the Chicago Bears. My overall impression of Patterson can actually be summed up pretty simplistically. I think that he and Cohen are polar opposites to the same dangerous home run hitter coin. Everything that Patterson is, Cohen is not, but each make up their own very dangerous package inside of proper offenses that use them correctly. Let me break down exactly what I'm talking about here. 
So Cohen is a smaller guy who uses lightning-quick lateral acceleration to make big plays as he cuts quickly, runs complicated routes, takes big hits on occasion, rarely gets physical with guys, but mostly just dances around them like he is the wind himself. This makes him perfect for punt returns, where occasionally you've got to catch the ball and immediately be moving in a direction like as soon as that ball hits your hands. So he's able to see somebody coming, have two yards of space, maybe, and still make a guy miss before bursting forward for a nice pickup. On the contrary, Patterson isn't small at all. The guy's actually 6'1", about 210 pounds, and instead of that lightning-quick lateral mobility and electric acceleration, Cordero Patterson is all about pure, unadulterated, straight-line speed, with only some acceleration to go with it. Now, what does this make him perfect for? It makes him perfect for kickoffs. And in both cases, Cohen and Patterson both are able to make big plays in both the running back role and a receiver role. Now, Patterson, at 6'1", 210, has a lot more power than Cohen, and he shows it. As Even in his limited touches, he'll very often lower his shoulder and try to blow through somebody, occasionally shucking them, as a matter of fact. But if he gets some space, he'll show you that he is surprisingly quick on his feet. He's able to jump cut very well, keep his feet away from potential tacklers, and make the most of the yardage that he gets. He's got these long, galloping strides that are just beautiful to watch, and he's got a top-end speed, like I've mentioned a couple of times, that is very, very fast and makes him very dangerous. He's able to turn what should be a 10-yard play into a 20-yard play, what should be a 3-yard play into a 6-yard play. One of those guys that you look back and you say, dang, he got that far on that? The answer is probably, yes, he did. Believe it or not, I think his one-cut style of running actually fits really well with what Nagy wants to do. I'm not expecting him to be a feature back. That would be crazy. But I do think that he'll get roughly six to eight touches as each game goes on. That sounds about right to him, about six to eight, especially given that in the Nagy complicated offense, you want to have as many weapons on the field as possible so that you cannot throw to some of them and keep that one that you are open I think that Patterson will be used as a decoy a lot. To my understanding, he can be slow to grasp the playbook occasionally. So this reminds me of Devin Hester a little bit. I'm sure he'll be integrated where he can. But as far as faking jet sweep so that we can pitch it out to Cohen or throw it to Miller or Robinson or, you know, any of our other plethora of weapons, I'm sure that we will see plenty of Patterson on the field. At $5 million per year of the next two years, I think Patterson makes a lot of sense on this Nagy offense-led Bears team and that he'll be a perfect weapon to mix into the offense, take up that fifth or fourth receiver role that Josh Bellamy vacated, as well as being a contributor on special teams. I really like this signing. In fact, I'm willing to call this one my favorite because of the difficulties that I've seen in HaHa ha Clinton Dix's game. And let's just go ahead and segue into that, shall we? So I've seen HaHa ha Clinton Dix's interception totals. The guy's got 14 picks in five years. That's not something that you do on accident, not as an NFL safety. Ball skills are always good. I think that's a great thing to have. Not to mention, he used to play with Eddie Jackson, and apparently the two are very close. This all sets up really well, right? Especially because he signed a one-year, $3.5 million deal that's frankly pretty cheap for this Bears team. Here's the problem. I had the chance to watch two of his games recently, and he didn't play very well. And both of those games were different teams. So I watched him week three against the Redskins with Green Bay, and I watched him week 15 
on the Redskins against the Titans, and both weren't very good. Ha ha, Clinton Dix seems to tackle poorly, a lot like what the Packers fans say, and when he's not playing deep safety, he's playing corner. He matches up pretty well with guys, but I haven't seen him blanket people like, frankly, I saw Scrine do just a couple of days ago. He also seems to, and I know, I'm, I'm not trying to be ridiculous here, but he seems to have an effort problem. I saw this in the Green Bay game and the Washington game, and I plan on diving into a little bit more tape, but here's my two games of watching him notes. He's not the kind of guy who's going to charge down and get involved in the running game. He's not the kind of guy that if he sees one guy tackling somebody, he's going to run in to try to finish the hit. He's not a thumper. He's not a box safety. He's a true deep safety. Here's the trouble. We have one of those, and it's Eddie Jackson. He's very, very good. So I want to know where Ha Ha Clinton Dix fits into this defense. Now, maybe Pagano, as aggressive as he is, can kind of get Ha Ha Clinton Dix's head back in gear because seriously, the tape shows a lot of Ha Ha either jogging or sliding slowly sideways. And I know the guy's got a long stride, and that can make him look like he's not sprinting when he's running at full speed, but I can count on my two hands in about 80 plays the amount of times I saw haha hit full stride after a play I get that you got to conserve energy as you play in the NFL but you would hope when it's a professional game that you're bursting forward at full speed as often as you can and as after watching so much of Jackson and Amos do just that I really wonder how haha is going to play in this defense I don't think the Bears desperately need a box safety I know we had a perfect box safety in Amos and Jackson so we played with them a lot but I'm curious as to whether we'll see any three safety looks with uh, both Haha and Jackson taking deep safety roles and Bush playing sort of like a they call it in Green Bay a nitro linebacker but basically he'd be a DB that is ready to hit and takes very little coverage responsibility that could potentially work but overall Haha's going to need to work on his tackling to play well in this Bears defense he's got the perfect teammates around him because pretty much everybody on this defense is good but the optimist in me says that Haha will be able to bring extra ball hawking to the safety position and we might see more interceptions and better coverage in general. The pessimist in me says that HaHa's going to need to bring that tackling up like I just said and that he might lead to some gashes in the running game because we don't have a thumper like Amos. Ultimately, it's going to be really interesting to see how his chemistry with Jackson and how his relationship with Pagano develop on the field and make a difference in HaHa's game. He's clearly got talent coming out of Alabama and what we saw in 2016 with a really pretty great year on Green Bay, but... Whether he's able to materialize that in a Chicago uniform, we'll see. HaHa's got plenty of reason to not be motivated, if you're asking me, just looking at it from a human perspective, as he knew going into his fourth year that he wasn't going to get extended by the team that drafted him. That team then traded him to what looked like a contender for a couple of weeks before Alex Smith's gruesome leg injury all but finished the season, and Colt McCoy's subsequent season-ending injury then just put the nail in the coffin. So whether it was a motivation problem for HaHa or whether he's just diminishing, I mean, I really tend to think a lot of it's in his head, uh, we'll have to see how that plays out on the Bears and what impact that will have on the field. 
And that'll about wrap it up for the scouting reports on these four guys. Go ahead and let me know what you think about it. Am I exciting you about any of them in particular? Or are you a little bit nervous based on the stuff that I'm saying? You think I'm crazy? You think I'm right? Just go ahead and let me know whether on Twitter, in the comments, on the Windy City Gridiron article. You get the idea. But I'd like to make a couple of comments on Pat O'Donnell before we move into a couple of quick mailbag questions and then wrap up the podcast from there. I'd like to offer a word of caution for everybody excited about Pat O'Donnell coming back. I know that sounds a little bit weird, and I'm not trying to be some Debbie Downer, but somebody did point out to me how fairly replaceable UDFA punters are, and the Bears are now going to be paying $4 million out to Pat O'Donnell over the next four years. In terms of statistics, uh, the stats don't really lie. They tell us that Pat O'Donnell is a very average punter. He's tied for 10th in fewest average yards on return, 14th in average net punt yards, and tied for 12th in the inside the 20 punts, and then he's about 19th in average punting yard. So maybe a little above average, but right there around that NFL middle of the pack in a fairly replaceable position as we're getting tight on cap space and trying to get younger. But the big thing that I want to point out is that now that we've seen Gould Barth and Parky roll through Soldier Field, you got to ask the question, is Pat O'Donnell part of the kicking problem? Now, I'm not trying to be ridiculous here, but while digging through the various kicking and punting data that I was looking at over Pat O'Donnell's signing, I did notice a pretty clear trend. We'll start with Robbie Gould, and I'm sure you'll get where I'm going as soon as I start rolling. But Gould entered the league in 2005, and from 2005 to 2013, he never had a season where he kicked below 75% or at that rate. Then comes Pat O'Donnell's first year in the league, and Gould suddenly drops from an 89.7% kick percentage down to a 75% kick percentage, and all of a sudden, Chicago's worried that Robbie Gould is falling off. He then follows it up with a fairly disappointing 2015 campaign where he misses a bunch of kicks in the preseason, misses all the wrong kicks during the season, but compiles an 84.6% kick percentage, and everybody says, goodbye, Robbie, we're going to have to move on to the next guy, and and Pat O'Donnell stays on the team. Enter Connor Barth, a veteran kicker with eight years of experience before Chicago. He enters Chicago and immediately drops from an 82.1% kick percentage down to a 78.3% kick percentage, and the next year has an abysmal 68.8% kick percentage. All this while O'Donnell is still on the team. Along comes Parkey, who after his somewhat magical 90-ish percent kick percentage year, he drops down to the 77% that we saw him kick in Chicago, missing a lot of big kicks. Now, obviously, this could be kind of a curse, like the curse of Robbie Gould that a lot of people talk about. But what if it's the holder? Pat O'Donnell's been the holder through all five of these years, and we've only had one year in which a kicker did well, and that was Robbie Gould's 84.6% kick percentage year. And in all of these games, it really seems as if these kickers are missing the biggest kicks. Makes you wonder, how's the hold on those big kicks? Because the kicker is never going to throw their holder under the bus. That would be completely classless, and it's just never going to happen. Not in a league where saying the wrong thing can often get you cut and lose you all of your money. All of this has personally gotten me wondering whether we want O'Donnell to be holding these kicks going forward. I know O'Donnell's slated to probably take up the kickoff duties, which would be nice. It means we can focus on a true place kicker instead of a power kicker. But suffice to say, seeing the Bears commit about a million and a half dollars, two and a half million dollars of next year's cap to a guy who's average with questionable holding, I'm not the only one who's pointed out stuff like this. 
I think it's a weird move. It's not a bad move, but it's a weird move. And it could get bad if it turns out we're just a couple dollars short of a big name like Justin Houston. Rest assured, if we get another punt in the playoffs like we did against Philly with the lead, this will be a problematic signing, and you can point back to stuff like this, calling it before it happened. Not every move is a great move, and with Ryan Pace's kicking solutions and Pat O'Donnell sticking around, he could be poor at evaluating special teams. We don't know. We'll have to see. But with all that having been said, let's bounce over to the mailbag. So Vinny asks, what veterans do the Bears sign now? Who would you like to see? Well, generally speaking, the only position that I really think we need any more veteran help at is our third outside linebacker. Pretty much every other position, talking things like tight end, kicker, running back, and others, just need youth injections and more guys in the pipeline. They don't really desperately need veterans unless we're talking special teams gunners, but heck, I don't know enough about football to know who's good at that. But circling back to outside linebackers, with Lynch visiting the Seahawks and Raiders, there's pretty much three options. Shane Ray, Bruce Irvin, and Justin Houston. Now, I want Justin Houston, and there was a tweet the Bears sent out that makes you get the impression that the Bears might very well be in on Houston, as they tweeted a Top 15 Free Agents article with Houston on the front of it, asking, I wonder if there are any future Bears in here. Now, I think that that's smoke. There could be fire there. We'll have to see. If they do lose out on Houston, I think you've got to snap up a Shane Ray or a Bruce Irvin so that you don't wander into the draft, potentially needing a running back, a safety, not a starter, but a guy in the pipeline, and an outside linebacker. Don't put yourself in position where you have to draft for need, and Pace usually doesn't do that anyways. Everybody else outside of that position probably ought to get young, especially kicker. I really do hope we draft a kicker, though I don't know who yet. Next up, Ambient Petey asks, Hypothetically, what would a pre-injury Zach Miller look like in Matt Nagy's offense? I like to ponder on the what-if with Zach Miller because he did have good chemistry with Trubisky his rookie season. So from what I can remember, Petey, Zach Miller would have been a nice fit in Trey Burton's role. He's a little bit heavier, about 9 pounds, and a little bit taller, about 2 inches. So if Miller gained a bunch of weight, he'd be able to displace Adam Shaheen at that Y blocking tight end role. But I really think it's the U, the pass-catching tight end, that Zach Miller was going to make his money at, so to speak. If Zach Miller could have stayed healthy, which was literally always his problem. He really could have developed more rapport with Trubisky and, frankly, probably have received the money that was going to go to Burton instead. With that said, ultimately, I think the Bears are probably better off with Burton. I really like Zach Miller, though. It's always fun to think about his various touchdowns, uh, including the one that he scored in New Orleans that was unfortunately taken away from him. But I wish him well. I hope he's doing well. Uh, I know the Bears still have him on the roster as he quote-unquote rehabs from injury, which I think is really cool. It's a very nice, solid done to a player that did a lot for the city of Chicago and was hurt as a Bear, but as his career effectively ended. And that's about all I got for you, folks. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I know I enjoyed making it. And be sure to keep your eyes peeled on WindyCityGridiron.com for latest news on what the Bears are going to do with the $15.3 million of cap space that they have left.
If you did enjoy the show, it'd be a huge help if you headed over to Apple Podcasts or whatever other service that you're listening to the show on and rated us five stars, the Windy City Gridiron channel. We're doing everything that we can to provide you the best Bears content possible, and high ratings helps us to get it out to other Bears fans in need all across the country. And if you didn't enjoy the show, leave a comment on Windy City Gridiron or shoot me a message on Twitter and let me know how I can improve the show to make it better, especially during the offseason. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, where I often drop player breakdown Twitter threads or any other things that I can come up with that I think are interesting and think that you might find interesting too. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and as always, bear down, and thanks for bearing with me. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.